1: Today we're going to do Miracle on 34th Street, just kind of dive into that and find out how that movie relates to our faith. So our team has put together a fun little video to get you ready for that.
2: surprise, it's not the real Santa Claus, it's just me. I was thinking about this moment that we just watched, you know, uh, a mall and Santa. As parents, many of us have brought our kids to the mall to go get a picture with Santa Claus. It's kind of this interesting moment where what we say we believe collides with what appears right in front of us. And some kids just go in awe, don't they? Some get so afraid. So you know, I've come to love this film that we're looking at today. The film called Miracle on 34th Street came out in the 1940s. It's a story about faith and about belief. And I believe today God's going to encourage you and encourage us as we watch this together. So let's watch the first clip from Miracle on 34th Street.
1: You're on floor number three. You're on the Pilgrim floor.
3: I beg your pardon? Could you tell me who's in charge here?
1: Yes, Mrs. Walker. There she is, down there. Thank you. You're welcome. Oh, you two ought to be over on
3: 81st. Mrs. Walker, one yes. of the men in your parade is not fit to receive... What are you doing
1: children. out of costume? Now get back and get dressed. Oh, I'm terribly sorry. I thought you were our Santa Claus.
3: Your Santa Claus is intoxicated. Oh, no. Yes, it's disgraceful. How can you allow a man to
1: get Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle Stop that. What do you mean by drinking?
4: You know it's not allowed. If it is cold, a man's got to do something
3: to keep warm. I'll warm you. I ought to take this cane and... And give I the... ought
1: to... Uh, somebody, Julian, get some black coffee. Uh, plenty of it. Yes, uh, Black with a little cream.
4: Uh, wake me up when the plate starts. Oh. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle oh. What a
3: So mutely shameful.
1: Could you be Santa Claus? Have you had any experience?
3: <laughs> oh, a little.
1: Oh, please, you've got to help me out.
3: Madam, I am not in the habit of substituting for spurious Santa Clauses. No. Oh, please. No, I. I... Oh, well the, the children mustn't be disappointed. All right, I'll do it.
1: Oh, good, thank you. Come all right right this way. Get that costume.
3: best you have ever had and he didn't need any padding.
1: What? Padding. padding. He didn't need any padding. Oh. Where did you find him? Oh, I just turned round and there he was.
5: I'm glad you turned round. I mean, I'm glad he was there. Just think if Mr. Macy had seen the other one.
1: Just think if Mr. Gimble had seen the other one.
5: you got to ride in a motorcycle or a car?
1: No, I'm going to go home and get in a hot tub and I might stay there until next Thanksgiving. Oh, you
3: really should see the parade. you worked so hard on it.
1: Oh, if I want to, which I doubt. I can see it from the roof of my apartment. Oh, well, that's right. You live down with the Mrs. Walker. Hello, uh, I'm Susan's mother.
5: Yes, I know. Won't you come in? Susan's told me quite a lot about you. I'm Fred Bailey.
1: Yes, I know. Susan's told me quite a lot about you too. Hello, mother. Hello, dear. Oh.
5: Won't you have a cup of coffee, you must be half frozen Oh, don't out. bother. What's oh, no bother, already.
1: Well, in that case, thanks. What do you think of my parade? It's much
0: better than last year's.
1: Well, I hope Mr. Macy agrees with you.
5: Sugar? Cream? Both? Neither?
1: Just one sugar, please. This is very kind of you, Mr. Gailey. Sit down. And I want to thank you for being so kind to Susan. Cleo tells me that you took them to the zoo yesterday.
5: <laughs> That's right but uh, I must confess it's part of a deep-dyed plot. I'm fond of Susie, very fond, but I also want to meet you. I read someplace that the surest way to meet the mother is to be kind to the child.
1: What a horrible trick.
5: It worked.
0: There goes Santa Claus.
1: Oh, don't even mention the name.
0: He's much better than last year's. At least this one doesn't wear
1: glasses. This one was a last-minute substitute. The one I hired, I fired. Why? You remember the way the janitor was last New Year's? Oh, yes. Well, this one was much worse.
5: I see she doesn't believe in Santa Claus, either. No Santa Claus, no fairy tales, no fantasies of any kind. Is that it?
1: That's right. I think we should be realistic and completely truthful with our children and not have them growing up believing in a lot of legends and myths like Santa Claus, for example. That's the end. The acrobats were good. They ought to be at those prices. Thanks for the coffee.
5: And thank you for
1: inviting me in.
5: It was a pleasure, Missy.
1: Mother, I was thinking,
0: we've got such a big turkey for dinner, and there are only two of us. Couldn't we invite Mr. Gailey? Couldn't we? Well...
5: Oh, don't even think about it. I'll have a sandwich or something.
1: It's an awful big turkey. (laughs) That's not it, dear, but I'm sure Mr. Gailey has other plans. No, he hasn't. Have you? Uh,
5: To be quite honest and truthful with the child, I must admit I haven't any other plans.
1: Please,
0: Mother, please. Well, I... Did I ask all right? Hmm? Didn't I ask all right, Mr. Gailey?
5: That all depends.
1: Dinner's at three.
5: Thanks. Susie on the U.S. just right. I'll see you at three. You worked.
6: Yes. What do you believe in? What do you believe in? You know, some of the things we believe in are very Silly, I've got to have the right pair of underwear on to go close that sale. You might remember when you were in high school, you had your lucky socks you were going to wear when you played in the game. And there's stuff that we believe in. Subtly and quietly sabotaging our life. You can't trust that person. You've always got to be in control. Everything we believe matters. Everything. Now, in a space like this in our church, we talk a lot about behaviors, and rightly so. I mean, we're going to talk about how do I pray? How do I parent? How do I forgive? As parents, you probably do that. Don't lie. You ever told your kids, don't lie to me? Say, hey, go clean your room. And then about an hour later, they're playing video games. You walk by, you cleaned your room? Yes, yes. Only to walk by the room, and they haven't. We've all been there, if you're a parent. And the truth is is that in that moment, you have to decide, am I going to address their behavior, or am I going to address their heart, what they believe? What you believe matters because what you believe becomes what you do and in that moment there's a, a belief that your child has that needs to be addressed this is why I tell you it's parents parent parent their hearts not their behavior see the thing about belief is everyone believes everybody has faith and the Bible speaks a lot about this Hebrews 11 Verse one says, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. you Just let that verse settle into your heart for a moment while we think about Christmas. Faith is hope. And it's a hope that I'm hoping for something, but there's a confidence inside of me about that. Now the thing about hope is hope always is an invitation in the middle of trouble or a problem. We don't hope when everything's okay. And faith lets me have confidence when things aren't okay that what I'm hoping for is going to come to pass. It is an assurance that is oriented not in what I see but in what I do not see and that's the thing about faith faith only exists in places you cannot see that's what I love about this film Miracle on 34th Street It's it's a film about faith came out and 1947, originally released in the UK under the title The Big Heart. It was nominated for almost every category at the Academy Awards. It won all of the awards for writing, original story, best screenplay. And Edmund Gwynn, who plays Chris Kringle, won the Academy Award for best supporting actor. Today, we're going to go through this story and ask the question, what does it mean to believe? What does it mean to have faith? So we watch this next clip from the movie. Let's do that right now.
0: This seems awfully silly, Mr. Galley. Well,
5: I thought as long as we're in the store, you might as well say hello to Santa Claus.
0: Why? Well,
5: because when you talk to him, you might feel differently about him.
3: You're a good boy now. (laughs) Merry Christmas. Well, young lady, what's your name?
0: Susan Walker. What's yours?
3: Mine? Chris Kringle. I'm Santa Claus. Oh, you don't believe that, do you?
0: Mm Mm-mm. You see, my mother's Mrs. Walker, the lady who hired you. Oh. But I must say, you're the best-looking one I've ever seen. Really? Your beard doesn't have one of those things that goes over your ears. Well,
3: that's because it's real. Just like I'm really Santa Claus. Oh, go ahead. Pull it.
4: All right, boys. Don't crowd. You have all day to see Santa Claus. Now, children behave. This way, please. Get back in the line now. And now,
3: what would you like me to bring you for Christmas?
0: Nothing, thank you.
3: Oh, come now. You must want something.
0: Whatever I want, my mother will get for me. If it's sensible and doesn't cost too
1: much, of course. Hello, Mother. Hello, Susan. Mm-hmm. Hello, Mr. Gailey. I think you've taken up enough of this gentleman's time now. Come along, dear.
5: The uh, explanation for this is all very simple. Cleo's mother sprained her ankle. She had to go home, so she asked me to bring Susie down to you.
1: Yes, I know. Cleo called me. i wondering where you were.
5: Well, I thought as long as we are here, we might as well say hello to Santa Claus.
1: He's a nice old man, Mother. And those whiskers are real, too. Yes, yes, dear. Many men have long beards like that. Susan, would you stand over here a minute? I want to talk to Mr. Gailey.
5: I shouldn't have brought Susie to see Santa Claus, huh?
1: (laughs) Now you're making me feel like the proverbial stepmother. I'm sorry,
5: but it's just that I couldn't see any harm in just saying hello to the old fellow.
1: But I think there is harm. I tell her Santa Claus is a myth, and you bring her down here, and she sees hundreds of gullible children, meets a very convincing old man with real whiskers. This sets up a very harmful mental conflict within her. What is she going to think? Whom is she going to believe? And by filling them full of fairy tales, they grow up considering life a fantasy instead of a reality. They keep waiting for Prince Charming to come along. And when he does, he turns out to be a...
5: We were talking about Susie, not about you.
1: Well, whether you agree or not, I must ask you to respect my wishes regarding Susan. She's my responsibility, and I must bring her up as I see fit.
3: Thank you, Santa Claus. Thank you. Bye. Merry Christmas. Well, young lady, what's your name?
1: I'm sorry she doesn't speak English. She's Dutch. She just came over. She's been living in an orphan's home in Rotterdam ever since. Well, we've adopted her. I told her you wouldn't be able to speak to her, but when she saw you in the parade yesterday, she said you were Santa Claus, as she calls you, and you could talk to her. Well, I didn't know what to do. Hello.
3: I'm glad that you're coming.
0: Oh, Ben Sinterklaas.
3: Yes,
0: ah, yes like. I'm sorry. i wist sorry,
3: Bill. i was so that you're going to die. Ben Sinterklaas.
0: Yes, i Ik heb i will Ik wil alleen maar days leave for domicile.
3: Will you be Sinterklaas klas kapunche geef het in mijn schoentje geef het in mijn laasje dank u sintje klasje sintje geef wat in mijn schoentje geef wat in mijn dank
0: now do you understand yes i see what you mean mother
1: good But when he spoke Dutch to that girl, he was so... Susan, I speak French, but that doesn't make me Joan of Arc. What I'm trying to explain to you is, come in.
3: They said you wanted to see me, Mrs. Walker.
1: Come right in. Hello there.
3: Good to see you again.
1: It's nice to see you.
3: You're awfully lucky, Mrs. Walker. Lovely little girl you have here.
1: Thank you. And Susan's the reason I asked you to drop down. She's a little confused, and I thought maybe you could help to straighten her out. i will be glad to. Would you please tell her that you're not really Santa Claus? That there actually is no such person?
3: Well, I'm sorry to disagree with you, Mrs. Walker, but not only is there such a person, but here I am to prove it.
1: No, no, no. You misunderstand. I want you to tell her the truth. Uh, What's your name?
3: Miss Kringle. I'll bet you're in the first grade.
1: Second. I mean your real name. That
3: is my real name.
0: Second grade? It's a progressive school.
3: Oh, it's a progressive school.
0: May I have this gentleman's employment card, please? Yes, Mrs. Walker.
3: This dress is very cute. Where did you get such a lovely outfit?
1: Here at Macy's. We get 10% off. Please don't feel that you have to keep pretending for Susan's benefit. She's a very intelligent child and always wants to know the absolute truth.
3: Good, because I always tell the absolute truth. Now, about your school, what's the name of your teacher? Mrs. Haney. Mrs. Haney.
0: Here
1: it is, Mrs. Walker. Thank you.
3: What else do you do, besides?
6: The truth. I only tell the absolute truth. What is the truth? It's an important, critical question to ask for you, for your life, for what you believe. That's the essence of belief, isn't it? I mean, what we believe in is ultimately what we've come to the conclusion is true. We believe a lot about Christmas, especially when it comes to Jesus. The moment that we as Christians claim to be Christmas, when the Messiah that was promised for thousands of years, comes alive in Bethlehem is an issue of, of truth. And as a matter of fact, th- this Christmas, to prepare my heart for, for Christmas, to really experience the, the majesty of what this is, I've been studying the Old Testament prophecies that point it towards the coming of the Messiah. One of those is in Isaiah 8. Look at this. He will be a holy place. This is the coming Messiah, speaking of Jesus. He will be a holy place for both Israel and Judah. He will be a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. This seems a bit odd, to be honest. He will be a holy place. Now, For the audience, this would have been a term that would have been very recognized to them. A holy place, that was the temple. And for them, the temple was the place you go to worship. It was the place of pilgrimage. Almost every Jew, once a year, twice a year, travel to the temple. Which makes it very interesting that Jesus begins his ministry by asking people, come follow me. Because Jesus is not just a place, he's a destination for our lives. We're to follow him. And aside to that, they would go to the temple so that they could offer a blood sacrifice. And they did this regularly. This would atone for their sins. Jesus was sacrificed for your sins and my sin. He became the once final and full Offering that covered our sin. He will be a holy place. He will be a stone in a rock. And I, I want you to think about the difference between so many things and what a rock could be. Jesus, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, said, if you build your life on my teaching, it will be like building on a rock. It's not gonna go anywhere. The storms can come. They can crash against it. It's gonna be a firm foundation that will stand. What is he saying? He's saying the truth of who I am is fixed. It's not moving. This is so important to understand about who Jesus was, who he is. John fourteen six, Jesus speaking, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is an exclusive claim. Jesus is either a liar, he's a lunatic, or he demands to be our Lord. And what does this verse in Isaiah 8 say? It says that this rock is gonna cause people to stumble. What happens when Our way, us doing life, our way comes straight up against immovable truth. We fall. We stumble. So let me put these ideas together and make a couple simple observations. Number one, to sin is to believe a lie. And in some way, shape, or form, all of us, have believed lies. Some of us struggle with addictions and the simple origin of addiction is that that thing will satisfy me. It's a lie, it won't. It won't satisfy you. You get addicted to food, substances, affection. See, all sin problems are belief problems. This is why we need to ask the question, What do I believe? And it's important because our wrong beliefs, number two, will cause us to stumble. When I've believed in something that was not right, my way is going to be altered, my life is going to be altered. And as my way comes up against fixed, immovable truth, what's going to happen? I'm gonna stumble, I'm gonna fall. So what do you do when you fall? What do you do when you stumble? Proverbs 24, verse 16 says this, that though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. But the wicked stumble when calamity, or when the wicked stumble, calamity strikes. Now here's, this is so important to see. You're all gonna stumble because we all have Erroneous beliefs. And as they do, if we're going to follow God, we just we get up, we learn the lesson, we dust ourselves off, and we keep following Jesus. Proverbs is saying here that the wicked, those who aren't following God, they they just lay down in their mess. Now, I love this movie because it begins to cultivate a crucible of belief. Do you believe in Chris? Is he Santa Claus? And you see that emerge in this clip. Let's watch together. Hello,
3: Chris. How about a little game of checkers after lunch, eh? Believe us not today, Chris. I, I don't feel like it. Oh, what's the matter? Nothing,
4: nothing.
3: No, something is wrong. What is it? Well, remember I was telling you how I like to play Santa Claus over at the Y on Christmas and, and give out packages to the young kids? Yeah. Well, I was telling that to Mr. Sawyer, see, and... Well, he says that's very bad. Sawyer? You mean, uh... uh that's the one. He's a, a psychologist, you know. Well, that's a debatable point. Why is it bad, does he say? Oh, sure. He says that guys who dress up like Santa Claus, see, and give presents away... Do it because when they was young, they must have did something bad, and they feel guilty about it. So now they do something they think is good to make up for it, see? It's what he calls a guilt complex.
4: What do you mean bursting into my office like this?
3: Are you a licensed psychiatrist? What business is it of yours? I have great respect for psychiatry and great contempt for meddling amateurs who go around practicing it. You have no more right to analyze Alfred than, than, than a dentist has to remove a gallbladder. I beg your pardon. Your job here, I understand, is to give intelligence tests, passing yourself off as a psychologist. You ought to be horse taking a normal, impressionable boy like Alfred and filling him up with complexes and phobias. I think I'm better equipped to judge that than you are. I'll tell him the truth. I always believe in being truthful with people. If he sees me or you mention psychiatrists, psychiatrist, it's more or less attacking his delusion again. He's apt to become violent. But in front of the children? Oh, but that'd be terrible. Well, you'd better get him out of the store on some other pretext. Then, once outside, I'll explain it to him. All right. If you think that it's better that
5: way. Mr. Kringle. Yeah? Mrs. Walker wanted me to tell you that we're going to take some publicity pictures this afternoon oh. down, down at the city hall. You and the
3: mayor. Good. I'd like to meet him. A few things I'd like to talk over with. Him. to Bellevue.
1: Bellevue.
3: Did she know about this? Yes. We all discussed it.
6: So the pretend psychologist in a coup against Chris convinces everybody to take him in for a psychological evaluation. If you've watched the movie, you know that there's a history of those in the past. He's always passed them. He's always come to be seen as sane and clear-minded. But that moment when he's endeavored to see Doris and Susan believe in him, To know that she betrayed him to turn him in. He fails the test on purpose and is committed to a mental institution, declared insane. Now, Fred shows up. Fred's the young man, he's actually an attorney. And he begins to talk to him and actually convinces him, hey, you know what, there's a chance. We need to get you out of here. But now I've got to prove that you're sane, but you say that you're Santa Claus. So it goes to trial. I was thinking as I was preparing for this message, every day we live in moments that are like that. What we believe is always on trial. Every day. Every moment, every relationship, every interaction. And it's being proven to be true or not. We see this earlier in the film when Doris, the mom, says, I don't want any fairy tales for Susan. Why? Because she's going to le- believe that life is a fantasy. She'll grow up thinking that Prince Charming is coming and then he'll show up and leave her. Why? That's her story. That's her brokenness. And if we really inspect why in life our beliefs change, it's because our wrong beliefs have failed us. We believed that that friend was the answer to our loneliness. And we found out that they weren't. And they betrayed us. We believed that if I could only have a child, if we could only have kids, then this hole in my heart would be filled only to one day stare face to face into God's blessing and realize that that hole was still there. Bought into an investment, believing that there would be a high return only to lose our money and get let down. Every day what we believe is being put on trial, and that includes our faith. G.K. Chesterton said, the Christian faith has not been put on trial and found wanting. Instead, it has been found difficult and left untried. Some of you right now are in the middle of a trial of faith. You believe in God, but it's gotten tough. It's gotten difficult. There are things inside and outside that in this season are screaming at you, give up, let go. Galatians 6, 9 says this, let us not become tired of doing good. For if you do not give up, if we do not give up, the time will come when we will reap the harvest. Don't give up on God. Don't give up on your belief in God. Don't give up on what you believe. In, in the middle when it's tough, don't why? Because He's not going to fail you. The truth is, is that there's stuff that we have believed in that wasn't God. Like that friend or If I get that, or if that finally happens, I'll finally be fulfilled, and it wasn't. And the trial of life has shown us that those things were not true. But God will not fail you. Don't give up on Him. He will not fail. So they go to court. And I want you to watch what happens as they go to court. Watch this clip with me.
1: You see, they're having, well, sort of a trial about him. You mean like for a murder? Oh, no, no, it isn't that kind of a trial. It's just because he says he's Santa Claus. But I've got a feeling he is Santa Claus, Mother. Some people don't believe that. That's why they're having but this... But he's
0: so kind and nice and jolly. He's not like anyone else. He must be Santa.
1: I think perhaps you're right, Susie.
0: Is Mr. Kringle sad now, Mother? I'm afraid he is. I'm sure he misses you and... Then I'm going to write him a letter right now and cheer him up.
4: Here's a new one. i seen him write to Santa Claus. North Pole, South Pole, and every other place. Here's a kid who writes, Chris Kringle, New York County Courthouse. Can you believe that? The kid's right. Yeah. They got him on trial down there. He claims that he's Santa Claus, and the DA claims that he's nuts. There, read it for yourself. Right on the front page. Hey, uh... Hey, Lou, how many Santa Claus letters we got down at the dead letter office? I don't know. There must be about 50,000 of them. Bags and bags all over the joint, and there's more coming in every day. Yeah. Hey, hey, Lou. Yeah? Uh, It'd be kind of nice to get rid of them, wouldn't it, huh? Yeah, but... Hey, that's a wonderful idea, hey, I mean, after all, why should we be bothered with all that stuff, huh? Why don't you get a couple of trucks up here, big ones, right away. Load them with all that Santa Claus mail and deliver it to Mr. Kringle down at the courthouse. Let somebody else worry about it, huh? Hey, right, right. hey jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle Way. Bell. Me... The defense has yet to offer one concrete piece of evidence to substantiate this preposterous claim. Not one competent authoritative proof that this man is Santa Claus. In view of these facts, and especially since today is Christmas Eve, We're naturally all anxious to get to our homes. I ask that you sign the commitment papers without further delay. Mr. Gailey,
5: have you anything further to offer? Yes, I have, Your Honor. I'd like to submit the following facts and evidence. It concerns the Post Office Department, an official agency of the United States government. The Post Office Department was created by the Second Continental Congress on July 26, 1776. The first Postmaster General was Benjamin Franklin. The post office department is one of the largest business concerns in the world. Last year, under Robert Hannigan, it did a gross business of $1,112,877,174.
4: Your Honor, I'm sure we're all gratified to know that the post office department is doing so nicely, but it hardly has any
5: bearing on this case. It has a great deal, Your Honor, if I may be allowed to proceed. By all means, Mr. Gailey. Your Honor, the figures I have just quoted indicate an efficiently run organization. Furthermore, the United States' postal laws and regulations make it a criminal offense to willfully misdirect mail or intentionally deliver it to the wrong party. Consequently, the department uses every possible precaution.
4: Your Honor, the state of New York is second to none in its admiration of the post office department. It is efficient, authoritative and prosperous. We are very happy to concede Mr. Gailey's claims. For the record, Mr. Mara? For the record.
5: Anything to get on with this case. Then, Your Honor, I want to introduce these pieces of evidence. Uh, I'll take them, please. I have here three letters. Their address simply, Santa Claus. No other address whatsoever. Yet these letters have just now been delivered to Mr. Kringle by bona fide employees of the post office. I offer them as positive proof for the
4: uh, competent... Three letters, Your Honor, are hardly positive proof. But I understand the post office receives thousands of these letters every year. I have further exhibits, Your Honor, but I hesitate to produce them. Oh, I'm sure we'll be very happy to see them. Yes, uh, yes, yes. Uh, Produce them, Mr. Gailey. Uh, Put them here on my desk.
5: But, Your Honor... Put
4: them here on the desk. Put them... Yes, Your
5: Honor. these letters is addressed to santa claus the post office has delivered them therefore the post office department a branch of the federal government recognizes this man chris kringle to be the one and only santa claus
3: uh, since the united states government declares this man to be santa claus this court will not dispute it case dismissed <laughs>
6: How do you prove something? How do you prove it? Scientifically speaking, you need to be able to repeat it in the fashion of an experiment or to verify it by observing it or measuring it. Can you imagine having to prove Santa Claus? Like actually having to argue the case that this man, Kris Kringle, is Santa Claus. It's ridiculous. Now imagine having to prove God using those scientific arguments. I mean, there are compelling arguments for the existence of God. Historically, the ontological argument, the idea that in our minds and hearts, we can conceive of perfection, though we have never seen it or encountered it, because the image of God within us reflects that into this world? It's compelling. But I can't experiment, God. I can't measure, God. I think about this movie and that moment when Susan is talking about believing that Chris is really Santa Claus. And she doesn't say, I believe because I've seen his reindeer and I've seen his suit. She says, I believe in him because I saw his character. I saw how kind he was. I saw how loving. Maybe instead of looking for the right argument, we should be looking for the evidence. Dr. Billy Graham once said this of faith. Can you see God? The implied answer to that is no. I've never seen the wind. I see the effects of the wind, but I've never seen the wind. There's a a mystery to it. And there's a mystery to faith and there's got to be for it to be faith. But there's evidence. And the truth is, that's why you matter. That's why your story matters. Parents, that's why you matter to your kids. Because you are the living evidence of God's redemptive love. Your family might not know God. But they can see the evidence of God's work in your life your neighbors, your co-workers, your friends. You are the evidence. See, as Christians, we believe at Christmas, the light of the world dawned in Bethlehem. A dark world corrupted by sin was invaded by light. That's how Jesus' best friend, John, in John chapter one, describes his birth. The light of the world came into existence. And if you're a Christ follower, that light is within you. The question is, what will you do with it? Jesus answered what we're supposed to do with it in Matthew chapter 5. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. But my faith is a private thing. No, let your light shine before others. I have a hard time talking about, and I, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. For some of us today, the invitation is just simply to be like Chris and to be the evidence for somebody else that they will look at your life and go, I believe in that. I don't know that I I don't know that I believe in that, but but I see the evidence. I believe in what they believe in. I, I see the evidence in their life. If you're a parent in here. Just endeavoring to say, I want to live a life of faith that my kids see something in me that they believe in. Or if you're the person that came in today and you're questioning and doubting, maybe you're in that season where your faith is being tested or you're the person who's, I don't know that I believe. Maybe instead of looking for the right argument, you just need to look at the evidence.
0: Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.